I think Matt McGill has a spiritual gift of stalling. I'm pretty <laughs> impressed, impressed with him. Um, he, he mentioned uh, the Mockingbird Dallas event, and I have to say, in a lot of ways, this year for me has been bookended by Mockingbird. Um, I, I was at that event and was, okay, I need to tell you first off, I am just a big crier. I cry mainly at three things, grandpas, babies. So grandpas and babies are just like a no-go. And then also the forgiveness of sins, which is what I'm talking about today. You think I would have chosen a different profession, but here we are. So anyway, with that in mind, I was at um, this Mockingbird event and was a new mom. I was about three weeks into being a a mom and um, heard, heard words that I continually return to over this past, this past year. Um, so I'm so grateful for that. And then, of course, so honored to be with you all here this morning, spending a little bit of time with you. So the first thing you need to know about me is that I cry all the time. The second thing that you should know about me is that I love Instagram. I am obsessed with it. Twitter is terrifying to me. I'm not quick enough for that. Um, TikTok, it, TikTok actually does scare me, and Facebook mortifies me, but Instagram is my jam. I spend a lot of my time on there. Um, I spend so much time, in fact, that my husband, who is the nicest person in the world, he has completely stopped asking, how are you today? Instead, he, he usually just um, looks at me and says, How's Instagram today? <laughs> kind of like it's a person. Um, we're fine. We're totally fine. Uh, I, 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 I do really love Instagram, though, because I love that it connects us to each other, um, that it makes us laugh, that it educates us, and it keeps us informed. And I actually like, in some way, that it's an extension of our identities. Um, and it allows us to get of get to know others in ways, unexpected ways, that we might not be able to know them otherwise. For me, as a, as a naturally shy person as, and as an introvert, I take great comfort in that. Um, because the truth is, Instagram, along with really any other social media app, these act as digital manifestations of our personal confessions. It's in these places where I would argue we go with some intent, at least, to share our own beliefs and to confess who we are or who we hope to be to the world around us. And when we confess, we are putting words to these beliefs and these convictions in both a positive and a negative sense. So positively, we confess what and who we believe in and how we think these beliefs can be best made a reality. Negatively, we confess when this positive confession of ours, or these positive confessions of ours, have in some way been broken, whether that's from our own failure, the failures of um, those around us. And in this way, a negative confession is an acknowledgement, I think, that something is not right with the way we would hope the world to be. And, and we are all very well aware, I think, at this point, that everyone no matter what their beliefs are, is touting a confession of some sort. This is not a new thought that I'm sharing with you. But what I have found very fascinating, especially in this last year of uncertainty and suffering, is just how quickly 
we all seem to be oscillating back and forth between the two, between the positive confession and the negative one. On the one hand, we seem to be constantly proclaiming the way that we, um, what we do or, or what we think or how we feel, um, how these things make us enough. And of course, there are a million ways we do this. You can probably think of a few off the top of your head. We, we post about ourselves perfecting our sourdough loaves. Um, we make sure we are caring about the correct social issues and that everyone around us knows this, that we say the right thing about these issues at the right time. Um, and if before COVID, we were posting about how busy we are all the time, it seems like now we are very into making sure people know just how well we are resting and how good we are at resting. Which, which brings me to my favorite type of um, positive digital confession that I've seen lately. And, and that is this idea of sleep stats. Um, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, there are a million ways nowadays to track, apparently, how well you're sleeping. You can do this on your phone or your smartwatch. Um, and through these apps, you can see how often you wake up during the night, um, how deep you're sleeping, I think. And then when you wake up in the morning, you see all of this information, and I think you even get some sort of rating. So uh, what makes me laugh about this, and I'm sorry, if you're one of these people, I'm, I am going to roast you for a second, um, but it, it makes me laugh that we have taken to uh, not only tracking our sleep, one of the most passive things in the world, but that we are also now posting about this on social media with comments about how this sleep has progressively improved over time. I just, I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like when you're laying horizontal, dead to the world, there's not much improvement that, that, that can be going on. I don't know. Um, <laughs> next to salvation in Christ, I, I really can think of almost nothing more passive that we have, have, yet, have tried to manipulate into some sort of justification. And I, I do this too. I do this too, not with sleep. But I have a 15-month-old. And for whatever reason, he is very into eating lettuce right now. He loves it. Um, so I found myself taking videos of this and sharing because you cannot convince me that there is anything cuter in the world than a little baby nibbling on lettuce. It's, <laughs> it's delightful to watch this. Um, but if I'm, if I'm being honest... There is also something in the back of my mind that tells me, wow, Kelsey, what a good mom you are. <laughs> Your kid, at 15 months old, he's eating lettuce, and he's loving it. This is definitely due to your hard work. There's a part of me that wants to share just how adorable my baby looks as he lounges on an ottoman and eats a leaf of lettuce, because maybe then my insecurities that I'm not a good enough mom and that I'm not doing enough will fade away. And isn't this how our positive digital confessions tend to go more times than not? We will turn anything, anything, within an arm's reach length of us into a means by which, which we can push our insecurities down and we can make ourselves feel like we are enough. 
So as we are positing constantly and um, shouting these beliefs to the world around us, on one hand, on the other hand, we've also become very, very comfortable with this language and speech of vulnerability and transparency and accountability when we fail to meet whatever is our brand standard of enoughness or whatever brand standard of enoughness has been set for us by the social media gods. Let me be clear here that confessions of the negative type are not inherently bad. In fact, as Christians, we would say that they are inherently good and biblical. Martin Luther famously stated that the Christian life is one of repentance. It is one of constantly confessing that we are sinners in need of a savior. And I think Dave said on the first night um, that there is no such thing as too much repentance. What a beautiful idea that is, and truth that is. Admitting when we mess up is honorable. And I would even say discussion of how large mistakes have hurt uh, large groups of people in the public space, this can be helpful many times. But what worries me is not that we acknowledge when we do not perfectly abide by our positive confessions. My worry is that we have turned even our admittance of guilt into one more way in which we believe we can escape the realities that cause such guilt. One more way in which we think we can save ourselves. The problem doesn't lie with apologizing or confessing. The problem comes about when we go to the wrong places to confess. And we are going to places where all we hear in response to our confessions is a call to do more, to do better, places where the law will not let us rest. And when all we hear is law in response to our repentance, all we hear is the demand that we have to get back to work, we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we have to continue to make our own way. In this way, confessions can't ever really actually lead to repentance, not the Christian type anyway. Instead, these apologies and this vulnerability and accountability, um, these act only as stops on our road to self-proclaimed glory. But this is not glory from the Father. This is glory that leads us further into the dry wilderness of law and self-reliance sin. And so our cycle goes like this. We confess that we failed at keeping our confessions. We confess that we failed at keeping the law. And then we turn right back to that same law, or, or we set up a new standard, a new law to try to meet. And we do this over and over again. And I would say the more that we, are going, that we continue to do this, the less likely we will be to actually confess negatively. Because why, why admit when you've messed up when all you have to turn back to is the same law. So if we hear anything in these digital spaces, it seems to be overt law. But often we don't hear anything at all in response to our unburdening. No one in this room is unaware of the difficulties of this last year. Many of us have lost jobs. Many of us have gone without community. And many of us are mourning the loss of loved ones. Many of us need to share what has been difficult for us, but when we do so in spaces where there is only an endless cacophony of shouting and therefore no ears to actually hear us, our words will only reverberate back to us, piling on to the guilt and the shame and the sadness 
and the accusation that we already feel. When we act as if social media, um, when we act as if our profiles are a confession booth or a space in which to unburden ourselves, I, I really, really believe that more times than not, we actually end up feeling more burdened. Leah Stein wrote about this in her recent New York Times article, The Empty Religions of Instagram. Um, in this article, she describes how influencer culture has given way to religious fervor, especially for women. Women who would otherwise be categorized as nuns, meaning they're not religiously affiliated. They are finding authority and belonging in the world of digital confession, where Stein calls instavangelists. I like, I like that term a lot. Um, these instavangelists preach their sermons. Our screens may have shrunk, but we're still drawn to spiritual counsel, especially when it doubles as entertainment, she says. Stein goes on to argue that these sermons come wrapped up in the health and wellness industry, they capitalize on the need to feel rage, and they turn those who listen primarily to the self as the answer for all problems. The confession here, it seems, is one as old as time. Do more, be better, success will save you, fix yourself, and you will be enough. But the reality about any positive confession based on the law is that it will not hold. At some point, our throats dry out from all of that speaking, and we are left with cracked and raspy voices that can only muster a weak cry for help. Stein writes this about a woman she spoke to for the article. Um, this woman is or was an adherent to the instavangelist Glennon Doyle. Um, she says, I was struck by the vulnerable comment she left on one of Miss Doyle's Instagram posts, in which she unloaded the litany of hardships she'd experienced last year. I noticed it went unanswered. A confession without a confessor. This is what I fear is happening with these trends of vulnerability and transparency and guilty confessions in our digital spaces. We have no response for them. No permanent one, anyway. And unless these words of how we fall short have somewhere to be laid to rest, the guilt and shame and suffering that they carry will not shut up. The condemnation we hope to get rid of when we confess will only linger. It will only linger until it can turn back on us as those same laws and commands we originally think or thought we needed to save ourselves. Of course, we all want to be better. We all want things to be better. It's okay to think that way. Admitting we aren't who we would like to be reminds us that something else or someone else is needed. But if we assume that this admittance alone makes us righteous or is the propulsion we need to dust the dirt off and try again at our righteous games, we are going to quickly find ourselves parched. We need a word that is different than our own. We need a word that comes to us from outside of our confessions of self-righteousness and enoughness and all of the schemes that we constantly construct to get there. We need a word that is strong enough to answer our cries of repentance, a word that shuts up, ends all of our confessions. 
We can see an example of what this word looks like um, in the show Ted Lasso. And I know, because you are all Mockingbird people, that most of you have probably already seen this show because it is one that is dripping with grace. It was, um, it was such a delight to, to watch this show uh, during this past year. But for those of you who have not seen the show, uh, Ted is an American football coach, and he has been hired by this character, Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca is the owner of a Premier League football club or soccer team in England. And she has hired Ted as a sort of FU to the previous owner, her ex-husband Rupert. Her whole goal is to burn the legacy and the future of this soccer team to the ground. And she is doing this at the expense of Ted. But she doesn't expect Ted's sunny disposition and his unceasing positivity to actually lead the team to success. And so as the season progresses and Ted refuses to relent, Rebecca finds her confession changing. She realizes she has to admit to Ted what she's done. So we're going to watch a quick uh, clip really quick and see what happens. Ted, I lied to you. I hired you because I wanted this team to lose. I wanted you to fail. And I sabotaged you every chance I've had. It was me who hired that photographer to take the photo of you and Keeley. I set up the interview with Trent Krim, hoping that he would humiliate you. And I instigated the transfer of Jamie Tart, even though you'd asked me not to. This club is all that Rupert has ever cared about, and I wanted to destroy it. To cause him as much pain and suffering as he has caused me. And I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. All you good people just trying to make a difference. Ted, I'm so sorry. If you want to quit or call the press, I'll completely understand. I forgive you. You what? Why? Divorce is hard. It doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or if you're the one who got left. It makes folks do crazy things. Hell, I'm coaching soccer, for heaven's sake. <laughs> In London. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. <laughs> This job you gave me has changed my life. It gave me the distance I needed to see what was really going on. Yeah, but you and me, we're okay. Come on, just shake this hand. My arm's starting to get... that Ted didn't ask Rebecca to prove how sorry she really was. He didn't base his response on how he was feeling in that moment. Instead, he, he simply ended Rebecca's words with three of his own. I forgive you. He gives her forgiveness without conditions and without measurement. And I would say with quite a bit of empathy. 
And what does this do for Rebecca? We see throughout the rest of the season that it gives her a new confession based on that word of forgiveness. No longer is she defined by the hurt and shame of her divorce. No longer is she defined by her goal, her confession to destroy Rupert. She is free from this. She is so free, in fact, that she's even able to offer this new word, first given to her, back to Ted at the end of the season. And if this is true for a fictional TV character, think about how true it is for us in Christ. Because Christ's forgiveness, his forgiveness is absolute. It is what we call absolution. Christ's forgiveness is absolute in ending the sin which we negatively confess, and therefore it is also absolute in giving us a new word to confess. I didn't grow up in a tradition uh, with this word, absolution, as a part of its typical vocabulary. So for a long time, to me, it sounded strangely medieval or even, even Catholic. But absolution is a constant thread that runs throughout scripture. God's word of absolution is present every time he recommits himself to Israel. It is, it is present throughout Jesus' ministry when time and again he doles out the forgiveness of sins. And it's most clearly present on the cross. 1 John 2.2 tells us he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the entire world. On the cross, Christ takes on your sin. He takes on my sin. He takes on our confessions that say we are enough and our despair when we realize we are not. He takes on the sin of our neighbors, that same sin that is done directly to you. He takes it all on as his own so that it can be buried with him. And when he takes on our sin, he becomes sin for us. This means that when God the Father raises him to new life, he also pronounces absolution on his son. So in the resurrection, God not only defeats death and sin, he births absolution. This is how he can say, this verse I think we've already heard this weekend, it's such a good one. I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So the Father speaks absolution to Christ, and then Christ turns around, and he speaks absolution to us. His absolution is the answer we need for our confessions. It is the word of life in response to our words of death. It is refreshment to our lips, which are dried out from constantly speaking and parched from positing and rebranding and commenting and reposting. And this word of absolution, it does not happen in a vacuum. It is not theoretical. Instead, God has chosen to enact his words of forgiveness from the lips of one sinner to the ears of another. I think that is a little bit of a theme that for me keeps popping up this weekend. And maybe it's because we have been so starved um, for time with each other. The fact is we need each other because God works through us. He works through ordinary, broken means, including our, our very words. He always gives us absolution from the lips of another. So this means that he could give absolution from a pastor on Sunday morning. I hope, I hope that you are at a church where you are hearing absolution on Sunday morning. He gives it from a spouse who says, I forgive you after a long and tiring fight 
or from a friend who offers you reprieve after you confess a sin you've been carrying by yourself for far too long. And just as the Father gives us this word on the lips of another, we too can give it to others. This means that we can, we can give it to the coworker who has been very difficult to work with, or to the uncle who refuses to shut up about his political views and beliefs on Facebook. We can give it to a parent who continues to demand too much from us, or perhaps even to a child who demands too little. The power of this word doesn't just cover the sins which are done to us directly, as we see in Ted Lasso. This is, this is um, really something that I think we, we, we tend to forget. Christ's absolution covers all sins, which means we can give it to those in need of it, even when their hurt and their anger, their shame, and their sin has not directly affected us. Who else in the world can do this? but Christians. We are the only ones with this word. This means that we are the people of this refreshing word, and we are the people of this refreshing word because we have it for ourselves, and we can give it to others, whoever they are. This means we can both forgive those who have offended us or wronged us, but also that we can forgive those who have wronged entire communities. We can forgive the guilty, the prideful, the shameful, the annoying, the canceled, and the canceler. And we can do all of this not because of who we are, but because Christ has put this good word in us. The power of absolution, like I said, it doesn't come in talking about it. It comes in giving it to people directly. It comes when we actually say the words, I forgive you. You are forgiven on account of Christ you have the forgiveness of sins. And this is not always perfect, and sometimes it's awkward, but it is needed. And also, it's important to remember that people are asking for this word. They may not do it perfectly. Their negative confessions may come to you in a way that you have to listen for. But if you pay attention, you will see that people all around you are trying to unload their failures and their sins. Confessions are just words begging to find an answer in absolution. And without that answer, these words will swallow us whole. Without absolution, our own words will kill us. Jesus actually says this a lot. Um, and I'll give you an example. Uh, this example, it's not, it's, it's not one that I can claim, unfortunately. I really wish I could. But it's one that I heard recently from Lutheran theologian Dr. Stephen Paulson. Um, so I'm going to do my best to paraphrase his explanation today. Um, to, for, me, for me, this explanation was totally revolutionary. So many times in the Gospels, we hear Jesus say, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake would find it. And it's typical of us that we would um, limit the meaning of life or soul, as sometimes a word used here, um, by its platonic definition. Therefore, we would think of life um, or define life solely by what we do, by what we accomplish, by our virtue or our action. And so we read a statement like this, and we think, oh, I just, I'll just work harder for Jesus. I will obey him more. I will sacrifice myself more for him. 
But the meaning of life in these verses is so much more. When Jesus said these words, he would have had in mind the Jewish version of life and soul, which isn't defined so much by what we do as it is by what we speak. Because the Hebrew word for life, nefesh, actually means throat. It's kind of weird, so stick with me. If you think about it, it's through our throat that we receive and give all that we need for life. It's how we breathe, it's how we eat, and it's how we speak. So to say whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, is much more akin to saying whoever would save his breath, his words, his speech, his confession, this person will lose it. And whoever loses his confession for my sake will find it. Whoever stands on their argument of justification will lose their life. But whoever through God the Father, because it's, it's him who doesn't just absolve us, it's him who repents us, repents us. Whoever through God the Father gives up these words and receives absolution will also receive a new life-giving confession. A throat filled with Christ's words, full of his forgiveness, this is what saves us. And ultimately, a throat filled with Christ's words is what saves our neighbor. In Christ, there is a new way of being that begins with a new way of speaking. Speaking in the language of forgiveness by which he quenches us when he absolves us of our sins and sets us free to do the same for our neighbor. And in this way, our new cycle becomes confessing and turning to Christ, not the law. And we do this over and over and over again throughout our lives. There's an assumption, I think, that um, Christians and non-Christians share. And that is that the best thing that Christians and Christianity has to offer the world is, is our virtue. And this assumption is, is not just wrong. I, I think it's dangerous because it means that we are positioning ourselves to give the world more of what they already have. The world doesn't need our morality or our virtue or our progress as much, as much as they need our absolution. You may have heard um, of the influencer Rachel Hollis. If you haven't, it's fine. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about her. Um, she, Rachel Hollis has built not just a huge following, but a multi-million dollar company on her message of self-help. And her book titles include Girl Stop Apologizing and Girl Wash Your Face, among others. But recently, Hollis has found herself in quite a bit of hot water. Um, and this is from a video she posted where she boasts, she's happy, that her success has made her unrelatable. People from, from all over the place, all over the political spectrum, from all different kinds of backgrounds and beliefs, they have been up in arms about this video in which Hollis asserts that she works harder than most people, she deserves her wealth and her success, and in which she also groups herself in um, a category of famous women, including the likes of Oprah and Harriet Tubman. There, there are many, many, many things that are upsetting about her video. I'm not defending it. And, and Hollis's message 
is definitely not one of grace or forgiveness. I would, I would say it's, it's one of those messages that leaves throats dry. Yet while she touts a confession which shouts that she's done it all, that confession has slowly been crumbling over the past year through a number of personal and public failures. And this video, which ironically I would say is a 30-second summary of, of how she truly sees herself or truly did see herself, um, it seems to have been the final nail in the coffin that hers is not a confession that can stand on its own two feet. Rachel uh, at first tried to defend herself concerning this video, but she did she did ultimately post an apology on her Instagram page, and I'm sure other places as well. Many of her future events have been moved or canceled because of this video, and she has remained quiet on social media for almost two months, last time I checked. And yet articles and social media posts continue to roll in with critiques of her and just a downpour of her transgressions. I mean, everything this woman has ever done to offend someone or hurt someone. It seems like Rachel is getting an echo back of that same confession she's been shouting for years. Just last week, a New York Times piece entitled, Girl, Wash Your Timeline, <laughs> it's clever, very clever ended with this quote from a former follower of Miss Hollis. This woman, this woman said, if in a strange world, Rachel Hollis came to me for advice, I'd say, girl, I believe in you, but you need to keep working at it and you need to get it right. Yes, there are consequences to sin. And yes, sometimes the law needs to continue to do its work on us before we can give up our positive confessions of belief for a negative one that begs to be filled with forgiveness. But honestly, I don't, I don't really care whether Hollis's apology was heartfelt or not. She apologized. And I can't help but wonder what would happen if she heard, perhaps for the first time, and perhaps surprisingly and charitably so, that she no longer needed to cling to an image of herself as master of the universe. I can't help but wonder what would happen if she actually heard from one person, I forgive you. If we could accept Hollis's apology, I can't help but wonder what might happen to this influencer who preaches the need to not apologize. Perhaps she would start to believe that she was free to apologize. Perhaps she would start to believe that she was free to confess something different than her own self-worth. And perhaps she could offer this same word to others. When you see people like Rebecca from Ted Lasso or Rachel Hollis who are beat down, torn up, and dying of thirst because of the shame and guilt of their sin, please give them the words that fill your throat on account of Christ. Do not give them your own words. Do not give them more to do. And when you feel the same, because you will, and you will feel this way probably more than you would like, when you know you haven't done enough and you've messed up, however big or small, 
When you find yourself with cracked lips and in need of refreshment, go find yourself a preacher. That means go find yourself a fellow believer in Christ that will quench your thirst with the true message that in Christ, all is forgiven. He remembers your sins no more. You are free and your debt has been paid. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Here they come. In, in other words, you are forgiven. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.